Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 282 of the Mom Hour. I am Megan Francis here, as always, with Sarah Powers. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Megan. I'm loving the fact that we're finally going to tackle this topic. And that is COVID. Am I right? It's not like we haven't talked about it. We have kind of a lot. But what we haven't really dug into just yet is like how COVID is specifically affecting parenting and child development. And I think I think probably the reason at the beginning we didn't do that is because we're like, oh, this is going to be all over in like three months. Yeah. And then that didn't happen. And also, we just didn't know. Like, we didn't know how it was going to affect us all over the long um, term and, and the short term. And now we're starting to see, and I think, I don't know, the reason this topic came to our minds is that we were noticing like, in our Facebook group and our and the emails we were getting from listeners, just some common themes. Um, yeah. People talking about their preschoolers really acting out or um, trying to go to like doctor's appointments. And uh, we had a mom get turned away because she didn't have, I don't even remember now. The, the, she couldn't wear her newborn. She couldn't wear her baby. They had to keep her in the carrier, in the bucket seat carrier. But yes. she didn't bring that in with her because she has a convertible car seat in her car. So That's they wouldn't right. see her because she was wearing her newborn. Right. And so it was like like just things that are affecting people in our community and other moms in our community that like wouldn't really have occurred to us back in March that yeah. these would be the specific things. And there's so many. So we decided to ask um, in our Facebook community just for people to kind of give us like a stage by stage breakdown of how COVID has complicated what would have been, you know, normal parenting challenges or child development challenges, like how how COVID has made them more complicated. And wow, did we get a lot of response? We did. And now's a good time to remind everybody, one of the reasons we probably haven't totally dug in on this yet is we know that of you listening, not everyone's having the same experience. And when we forget to mention that, you all are really good about reminding us that it looks very different if you're a stay-at-home mom with a bunch of tiny kids than if you're in a single-parent household or a two-parent full-time outside-the-home, you know, first responder or essential worker household. 
the challenges are very different. So when we say some common themes emerge, they do. But we also acknowledge that there's a really wide range here of the Mm. way this has affected families. And it's another it's another good time for that reminder that your heart is hard, whatever your heart is. So sometimes I think um, we can get into like heart Olympics or, Mm, (laughs) you know, like or you almost feel like I don't want to complain because I know that at least my family is paying our bills this month and many families are not. So I think there's room for the diversity of experience here. There's room for Megan and Sarah to talk about some common themes with full knowledge that, you know, there's, there's so many different experiences happening right now and it's all okay. And and by, by okay, I mean, it's all hard, whatever your version of hard is, that's, that's okay. Yeah. And I think what, what I was surprised by was actually how common the commonality of the themes really did in a lot of, in a lot of cases cross over all those lines. Mm-hmm. Like, like, you know, whether the mom is working or stay at home, certain issues were coming up regardless. Like everyone's yeah. got to take their kids in for their well child visits mm-hmm. or everyone's got to do these certain things. And like, depending on their circumstances that might change the, the, the complicating factors, but like the fact that it's harder for everybody remains. And, um, and wow, we, we were talking about a couple different news stories that came out recently. One that, um, popped up in my feed recently was a, a number, a figure that out of the 1.1 million workers who dropped out of the labor force just in September, 80% were women. I think it was like 865,000 women dropped yeah. out of the workforce. And a lot of that is due to COVID um, issues with childcare or not feeling safe using childcare or um, school, uh, not, yeah. it not being in person. So like, that's staggering. That is truly staggering. And I think we, we haven't even begun to under or to understand the long-term effects of that, of all of this. And that's true in general. We, you know, we're going to be learning and feeling the effects for, for so long, but um, yeah, that was staggering. And it's not surprising that moms are putting one foot in front of the other and holding each other up and being there for their friends. But yeah, today is going to be an acknowledgement of some of the, not just this is also hard, but some of the specific ways, like you said, Megan, we're seven, eight months into this. And the first two or three months, if you let your dentist appointment slide or your child's well check or, you know, whatever, you, you kind of figured you'd get back to it. But we're now like in the second half of a year where certain parts of life, um, you know, we have a lot of listeners with kids in speech therapy or occupational therapy, like things that can't really be put off forever. So we're now having to learn how to do those things COVID style. And that's kind of what we're going to dig into today is some of the really specific challenges. And I always hope that um, uh, episodes like this kind of give um, you give you an insight into what other moms' lives might be like, or maybe struggles that are different from yours, um, or maybe some that just help validate you. Yeah. Um, I want to yeah. say, I want to say one thing about Facebook really quick. Cause I feel like we, the last several episodes have made reference to our Facebook group, which is wonderful. The moms in there are so supportive. The tone is really encouraging and inclusive. Um, but I also want to acknowledge that we know not everybody's on Facebook and I myself have a very complicated. It's not that complicated, actually. I hate Facebook. Um, That's (laughs) uncomplicated. And I go through months at a time where I really don't look at the newsfeed and I don't use it as a way to 
keep in touch with people or get information. But because our group is there, I pop into there a couple times a week. And so um, I only bring it up because I don't want anybody to feel left out. If you hate Facebook or you're not a Facebook person, that's not the only way to keep in touch with us. We, we love your emails. We're on Instagram. You can leave us voicemails. Um, our email list is great. Our monthly newsletter, or you just listen to the podcast and, you know, like talk back to us in your car and that's fine yeah. too. So um, I only say that because it. I think recently it's been a great uh, place for us to crowdsource and to have really interesting conversations. Um, but I want people to feel like if that's not your thing, if Facebook groups make your skin crawl, I get it. And we are happy to connect with you in all those other places. So you're not, it's not the only way to hang with us, I guess, is my little disclaimer there. Well, thank you for saying that because I know that you know that I also have a very complicated uh, relationship <laughs> with Facebook. Um, just a little hack. If anyone in the Facebook group noticed that suddenly my face looks different when I post, <laughs> it's because I made a fake account. I have not actually, uh, besides having to go into some pages that I was managing under my regular um, account that I had to kind of like transfer ownership to this fake account. That's the only time I've been on Facebook in almost two weeks now. And it has changed my life for the better. So what I did was create a, like a, like a fake, like a anonymous Megan, mm -hmm. um, like a Megan copy. And I only signed up for the mom, hour listener community and the mom, hour page. So now when I get in, my feed is literally all the mom hour. That's, That's all great. I see. So what's great about that is that now I can just go in and like, like I'm just seeing what I want to see and I can mm -hmm. interact with the group and I'm seeing everything, which for a long time, you know, you see like one thing and then a million other yes. things mixed in. Um, and it was, it's been a really good workaround. And I think I will do that till at least the election. So I may yes. push things from my Instagram to my public Megan Francis account, but I do not intend to read my feed or engage in that way until at least like a month from now. So uh, yeah. So like it, it was a workaround and it, it made me not hate Facebook for a while. So yeah. Just, and I yeah. just, I just create a bookmark right to our group on my, like in my Chrome bookmark area. Yep. And then I just go there and I get out and I ignore the notifications. I took it off my phone. So there's no phone notifications. I don't have messenger on my phone. I had gotten back into that with all my secondhand shopping through the Facebook market. Right, that's where they get you. <laughs> that's where they get you. But I got rid of all that. And same, I'm just Hopping into the group. It is a great group. Um, but yeah, I wanted to mention that because I think lately we've talked about it quite a bit and it might yeah. seem like, oh, I don't want to be on Facebook, but I love the mom hour and you can love the mom hour and you don't, you don't have to be there. And if you are, we love chatting with you there. It's a really fun group. So, yeah. Oh. Well, you know, one of the th other things I really wanted to say before we dive into this episode, which I know is going to be mostly, I think it's going to be mostly validation. I don't think because Sarah, you and I are experienced moms, but we're not experienced pandemic moms. Correct. I don't think there's anyone in our community or anyone who's written a book who can claim to have been an experienced pandemic mom. So we're all kind of figuring it out. Um, but I think one thing that we do bring to the table is that it's kind of like a, it's like a balance between validating that everything right now is like harder than it needs to be, but that some of this stuff would be happening anyway. And that's one thing that's hard because you know, so many of the challenges that, that moms were, were talking about, like um, stranger danger and separation anxiety yeah. and kids being super physical and making messes of the house and um, even some like regression, like so much of that is normal and it gets really difficult to suss out like what your kid would be doing anyway and what's way worse because of COVID or what's like on the line between unusual and troubling. Like mm -hmm. that has now become really hard for us to figure out and we're cut off from our usual support systems and services. Yep. Like you can't lean on your parents and say, is this normal or your, or your best friend or whatever? And 
you might not be able to access speech therapy, occupational therapy. You might not be able to get in front of your pediatrician very much. So we're sort of like left on our own to figure out what's normal to the extent that we can deal with it and what really requires some kind of outside help. And I think the hopeful thing is that you hear one thing that kind of came up again and again in these conversations was mom saying, my kid was having a really hard time with X, Y, and Z, but then this changed and now they're a new child and it happens fast. Mm -hmm. So I think for most of us, right, we're going to see that whatever challenges they're dealing with right now, once things normalize or some little thing happens, like a shift, mm -hmm. like they can go to daycare again or something like that, then they're going to bounce back very quickly. But in the meantime, you're still stuck, right? In yeah, this in-between. You're stuck and you're worried about, right. because if you have a four-year-old as your oldest and you've never parented a five, six, seven, eight-year-old, all you can think is how, how is what's happening now going to affect the next several years? And that's a natural thing. I, right. we, I mean, we all have those thoughts. Um, in the show notes, I'll link to a really interesting New York Times article that we don't have to go into now, but it's about socialization specifically um, and how kids will be affected at different ages. So the concerns about basically the five and under crowd are very different than the socialization concerns for like, say, tweens and teens. And yeah. it's a really it's a really evidence based article. And I think it will make you feel better. Those of you who are worried that your kid's missing out on playgroups and chance to play with their other kids. It's not that it's not affecting your life. It absolutely is. But like you said, Megan, the ability to bounce back um, and, and the relative importance of socialization versus primary caregiver relationship, like it's, it's documented, it's evidence-based. And I think it's going to be, it's going to be okay. So that's a really um, encouraging read. And I'll link that up in the show notes. Yeah. So that, and your, and your point also that like, you know, for a baby socialization may, not even really be a thing. Like there's definitely moms out there right now, maybe listening to this, who've got like four little kids at home and they're like socialization for my infant. I'm not even thinking about that because I've got so many and like, this is what they get. Right. But that's very different when it's normal times and mm -hmm. when it's COVID times, because in the COVID times, that mom's social support group is also taken away. Correct. So like all the normal, like all the things that would make that doable and manageable are now affected. So whether it's affecting the baby or not, um, or the toddler or the preschooler, it's not that it doesn't matter. Of course it does, but it, it's like now all you've got to think, all you've got to go mm -hmm. on is how it's affecting your child and how it's affecting you. And yeah, it's a hard place to be. And I, I will say, um, reading through those comments, like was kind of heartbreaking in a way, mm -hmm. like a lot of them made me go, Oh, <laughs> this is hard. This is really, really hard. Yep. It was. Megan, the end of the school year and kickoff to summer is a busy time of the year for families, but we can all eat stress-free and hit our wellness goals with ready-to-eat meals from our sponsor, Factor. Factor's delicious meals are never frozen and can be ready to eat in just two minutes. You can pick from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular choices like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Plus, they have more than 60 add-ons like breakfast, lunch, snacks, and beverages to keep you fueled all day long. So our team was comparing notes recently on our favorite factor meals. And Katie loved the herb crusted chicken with mashed cauliflower and toasted almond green beans. I loved that one too. And get this, so did her little boy, Charlie. She heated it up for lunch one day and Charlie, who's three, ate almost all of the green beans. I mean, that's quite an endorsement, right? I was going to say, what a parenting win. <laughs> and I get it, Charlie. Those green beans are crazy good. And if you really want to treat yourself, they even have meals with filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. 
Listeners head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code momhour5050 at factormeals.com slash momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Okay, Megan. Well, over here at the Mom Hour, we are big fans of our sponsor, Our Place. In fact, you, me, and our team member, Katie, were all comparing notes on our favorite product. Katie was telling us that even though she's packing up to move her family to a new house, she cannot put that mini perfect pot from Our Place into the boxes yet because she's using it like every night. Well, as someone who also has a perfect pot, I got mine as part of their mini home cook duo set. I get it. It's nonstick, which is key, but it also has all these handy features like a steam release lid with a built-in strainer and this nice beechwood spoon that nests on the handle in this perfect little peg. Okay, well, I didn't get this pot, but now I want it. That sounds so great. Our Place's cookware is great to cook with, beautiful to look at, and healthier for us as well. All of Our Place's products are made without PFAS, also known as Forever Chemicals. In addition to their cookware and tableware, Our Place is also making waves with their Wonder Oven, the most stylish all-in-one air fryer and toaster oven. Again, free from the forever chemicals found in many of those air fryers. Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's from our O-U-R place.com code mom hour. Okay, well, let's dive in to uh, the newborn and infant stage and the specific ways that now month eight of COVID parenting is affecting these babies, but probably more realistically is affecting the parenting experience of babies. Um, we got a ton of comments. Um, it's crazy how many of you have birthed babies during the pandemic yes, um, wow. and are continuing to. So <laughs> you're birthing right now as we speak, there's birthing happening. Remember at the beginning <laughs> when everyone was joking about like COVID babies? Baby because every- yes, yeah. but we're coming up. I mean, in just a couple of months, babies, the babies born will have been conceived in March. So yep. yeah, here we are. Um, so we just noticed a few kind of themes and we can go back and forth and I can jump in first. But um, one theme that jumped out a lot was concerns about stranger danger. And um, we know that's developmentally normal in babies. I had one baby who started it at five months, which the books will tell you is early to actually like really, truly be wary or afraid of strangers. But she was like five months and then she had stranger danger till she was like, I don't know, four. Like she just was re- <laughs> really um, very cautious and very socially cautious, I guess. Um, and yeah. as a baby had pretty extreme stranger danger. So that was Allegra. She's super outgoing now, very comfortable talking to all different kinds of people. Um, but she was an extreme stranger danger baby. And that was in non-COVID time. So we know that it's developmentally normal. We know that some babies have it more than others. Um, but I think what the comments here have kind of brought to light is there's no practice for babies and moms of babies and dads of babies in getting that baby used to different caregivers or just yeah. different faces in the grocery store. You know, we're yeah. not taking them out anywhere. And not so seeing people and faces. No. Yeah. So moms are observing the results of that. And the results are that maybe things have loosened up and maybe you are able to go visit some relatives now. And sure enough, the 10 month old or the eight month old is terrified of 
other people. And again, like you said at the beginning, Megan, is it COVID? Is it normal? Is it somewhere in the middle? Probably all of the above. Only her hairdresser will know for sure. That's like (laughs) such a dated reference. Um, I just want to, first of all, though, like also kind of like zone in on this stranger danger idea because it made me laugh that so many people use that term, which I always thought of as like the thing (laughs) you tell your kids not to take candy from someone in like an unmarked white van with no windows. Like to me, that's stranger danger. So I always think of it as more like generalized separation anxiety, right? Because it's not necessarily just strangers. Like sometimes a baby does not want to be separated from mom. That's true. And it doesn't even matter if it's dad is not a stranger. She still doesn't want dad or big brother or sister or whatever. So just an interesting, uh, I don't know, not really a difference, I guess, but just the terminology kind of made me chuckle. Well, that's true. And that's funny about the other, that is another definition of stranger danger. But to a counterpoint though, is that when my baby had it, um, I could be holding her the whole time and she would cry, honestly, if another adult looked at her, even if okay, so she so wasn't separated wasn't like from me separated at all. From you. So it's almost Mm-mm. like two different, it's almost like two different um, delineations that could be affected by this. And, yeah, one and I that, think yeah. they overlap, but. And, and also it's not even necessarily a person, right? So one of the comments we got, which this was one of the ones that just hit me at the core Um, a mom says that her 11 month old was terrified. They went to visit friends and they left the house for the first time. 11 month old was terrified because of different trees. Like just the sight of like a different scene Mm -hmm. made this baby completely freak out. And then she says, when he saw the people forget it, he was a mess. And of course I broke down, but they were on, you know, they were on lockdown for three months. So of an 11 month old baby's life, that's like a quarter of his life. Yeah. And had not seen anything besides their house, their yard. Yeah. I mean, it's just that's something that you probably wouldn't have run into um, pre-COVID when yeah. you would be taking the baby out in into the world to see things. Yeah. 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 No, Ugh. it's rough. Um, Allison said that even her pediatrician noted that at the nine month well check, the, the stranger danger that was the pediatrician said it was more than what would be expected at that age yes. and kind of noted it in the chart. So I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know that pediatrician, but I did have an infant with really extreme, like turn her face away and cry, even if no one was trying to hold her. So yeah. I, I, I have experienced that. And hopefully Allison, it just kind of works itself out. And she's probably very attuned to other humans and human faces. She'll probably turn into a very, um, what am I trying to say? Like, um, emotionally attuned human. Mm. She's just taking it all in right now, but yeah, stranger danger was a big one. Well, and with you, so this was your oldest, right? You had, so, so she, I'm sure you had been out doing all the things like you Mm -hmm. had been out going to the mommy and me's and the playgroups and all that stuff. So it's, you couldn't really blame it on, um, isolation or being locked down. It just was her personality. And how old was she when she started to kind of warm up? Um, I would say between it was in stages, you know, but um, certain types of people, men with loud booing voices, Mm. um, like certain dominant types of personalities would still send her like running for us until she was probably two. And then from two to four or two to five, I would just say she was more cautious and reserved, but she wasn't it wasn't like an anxiety response. She just was like a she was a watcher and an observer, but it wasn't she wouldn't cry or anything. Um, yeah. So yeah, but from like six months, five months, six months, probably up till 18 months, pretty, pretty extreme. I have to wonder, like, you know, with Allison's pediatrician commenting that the, that the behavior was, I think she used the word abnormal. 
I'm wondering then what the pediatricians are doing with that information. Like, yeah. and yeah, I'm not just talking about Allison's pediatrician, but overall, like, what do you do if you're a pediatrician seeing baby after baby after baby or child who's doing something that's off or like right. that wouldn't have been normal a year ago? Do you just note it and go, well, hopefully in a year things will be different and we'll be bounced back. Do you give advice? I, I mean, I, I wonder what advice people are getting from their um, care, from their healthcare providers yeah, and other experts. That's a fascinating question because these providers, these physicians are also living through this for the first time. Right. They um, don't know. And they, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's probably wise to kind of note it um, in that way. Right. So, yeah. Hmm. Um, well, another one we noticed, and it's just, it is another heartbreaking one. Um, and a, just a common theme is just the, the lack of family support and Um, and I added to that the lack of occasional caregiving. So we kind of have two different ways you can have childcare. If you have a full-time nanny or a daycare situation, um, there are major complications that go along with that. And we'll get into that in the toddler and preschool years. But if you don't, then you occasionally may need coverage at home. And a lot of times that usually falls on grandparents or neighbors or mom friends and that's been taken away because we're not supposed to share our kids with people. We're not supposed to open up our households to other people in many areas. So um, that is just so hard. If you can't yeah. just have a quick babysitter for a quick errand or a date night, that's like a, that's, that adds up after eight months. Yeah, it definitely adds to the parent's burden. But then I also um, was picking up on and, and saw several comments that were also about the relational stress Um, particularly when a, just not being able to see your family is sad and that's hard, uh, really, really hard for me that like, if I was both home with a baby and couldn't see anyone in my family, like that would have been extremely difficult for me, but also adding in the complications of like when certain family members are, um, following guidelines better than others. And you're comfortable seeing some and not others, or you feel some aren't taking it seriously and have to kind of create boundaries around that. I could tell that that is a big thing that isn't parenting related so much, but still affects, it could affect your relationship with your spouse yeah, um, and maybe their families. Um, it could mean that like you've got tension between you and your in-laws or maybe your parents. It's just, it's just a lot of emotional minefield um, navigating. Yes. And especially when you've got, like, I'm just thinking back to how when you have a new baby to begin with, navigating those relationships can be hard because you've always got like at least one relative who wants to be more in your face than you want them. And, you know, <laughs> like you've got someone who wants to be super involved and you really don't want them in your space or vice versa. You really want support from some family member and you don't get it the way you want it. So there's that that's just like common to the parenting um, experience and then add in like all this complication with not knowing if it's safe to see certain people or not feeling like they're respecting your boundaries. And it's just like times 10 times a hundred. That's hard. And it's a, it's a mental load. It's like more calculus than we ever were meant to do when we haven't slept in weeks. Um, Vanessa commented that she was just home with her firstborn. So first baby and her husband had to go back to work and the plan was for her mom to help, but her mom had an exposure risk, like had been exposed, I think to someone, or maybe thought she did. So out of an abundance of caution, her mom couldn't come help. And she literally was by herself with a newborn husband back at work and, you know, nobody to help care for like the postpartum, you know, her own postpartum care. And so that's, she is not the only one. There are people making 
unfortunate sacrifices, I guess, or, you know, accommodations um, that, that shouldn't have to be made. And it is, yeah. it is heartbreaking. I, I think it's important and worth noting here that, and I think we talked about this way back in the beginning, that sort of law of unintended, unintended consequences or rules being applied across the board without taking these circumstances Mm, into account. And when you've got a whole system that is set up around the idea that moms go home 24, 48, 36, whatever hours after giving birth, because the assumption is at home, they'll have someone who can help. And if that's not the case and there's no way to safely make that the case, or if the, I guess, common like cultural messaging is it's irresponsible to do that regardless of your circumstances. And you're like in a catch 22 because it's, you know, it's bad for you to not have someone to help you when you just had a baby. It's like, you need that. Yeah. But it could be bad for you to have someone who's been exposed to COVID. You just really don't know. And that's all. It's like this, it's this big, um, I don't know. It's like a question mark. And I feel like some of that, especially early on, and maybe, maybe that's gotten a little bit better, but like kind of knee jerk reaction about the idea that someone would come into your home. What if you really like, what if you had surgery and you needed that? Or like, I don't, it's just, I just feel like some of those what ifs and nuances were sort of overlooked and I'm hoping, I'm hoping that's getting better, but I really don't know. Yeah. Um, I also noticed, uh, Shanna's comment about not being able to bring older kids to the baby's doctor appointment or to Mm. anything. And I just realized like my kids are just now old enough to stay home alone, but also my spouse works from home. I mean, he's, he is pretty much locked in an office all day, so he's not parenting, but he is a, an adult body in the house. And that would be so, if you were starting to move about more and you needed to run, pick up a prescription or, you know, take the dog to the vet and, and we are, our lives are in some ways moving on, but you can't bring other children to right. those various appointments. Oh my gosh. I guess that's, that falls under just more of like an annoyance, but then if you can't find childcare for that, then like that is, that's just complicated. Well, um, it, yeah. because childcare may not exist and it may not be an annoyance. It may be, you might be a single mom or maybe your husband can't take a time off work yeah. or maybe you and your spouse both work. And the fact that one of you is taking off is hard enough. Like that's, that's just like, that's just a lot. <laughs> and it's, it's, a, it's, yeah, it's just a lot. That and it is feels the theme impossible. of this episode. Yeah. Um, well, and that's a good segue into something else that came up with this um, newborn and infant stage is everything we've talked about so far is kind of under the realm of like trying to live normal life in a pandemic. But one thing I noticed is when things get extra complicated, now they are extra exponentially complicated. And what I mean by that is we had several people who uh, one mom had a preemie delivery. One mom had a baby who wasn't meeting developmental milestones and needed to be evaluated for evaluated for occupational therapy. Um, If you have a medically complicated birth or postpartum, um, everything from lining up appointments to getting insurance through to, I mean, everything is more complicated and takes more time. And, um, I think that's something that if you, if you are not experiencing that right now, just kind of letting that sink in that the moms who do have special needs or medically fragile babies or children or a household member, I mean, it is, it is just piled on. It's exponentially more complicated in this already complicated time. So that was another theme. Yeah. And I mean, 
first of all, like you, you have these moms talking about trying to do Zoom occupational therapy and what a disaster. The four month old. <laughs> the four month old. Or like speech therapy on Zoom with a slightly older kid. Like just how, how, how it's not, that's not the way it's supposed to work. But even the paperwork, like you mentioned, um, I don't know how things are in other states, but in Michigan, like none of our social security offices were open all summer long. I don't, I still think they aren't actually. And our secretary of state, which is like our DMV. Mm-hmm. So it's where you'd go get your license or whatever. Those are also closed except by appointment. And even the appointments just started back up. And I was just thinking like, let's say you really had to get some paperwork for your baby to even get on your insurance or something. And you couldn't get it. I did, it just, that just stuff, that stuff's already hard for me. I'm not a detail person and paperwork. Mm-hmm is not my favorite. And just the idea, I'm thinking about how long it took me to get a replacement copy of Will's social security card. It basically mm-hmm. took like two and a half months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's like, if you needed something like that for insurance purposes, I, uh, I know that just piles on. I know. And, um, Margaret was one of the moms whose kids are in full-time daycare. Um, and she is working full-time, but she just noted how complicated it gets. If one of the kids just has the sniffles or has a run of the mill cold. And then everything we've been talking about, the lack of childcare support, the lack of grandparent or extended family support, the not wanting to expose anybody to anything and then working full time, having a spouse who works full time. So even the simplest thing of like, oh, the baby has a runny nose and can't go to daycare has become the most complicated thing ever. So yeah, when, when things are complicated and then get more complicated, it's complicated Mm. and hard times lots times a thousand so not surprisingly another big theme that emerged is less about the baby's development and more about what it's like to be a mom of a small infant um during this time and that is just loneliness and isolation um and that's kind of i guess an umbrella over everything we've already talked about um but it it should be it should be addressed, I guess, um, because we know that moms who've just given birth are at higher risk for, you know, mental health struggles. And then we just talked about how complicated it is to get support for those. So loneliness and isolation are real. And then on top of that, we are often purposefully not seeing the people who might be able to support us best, our Mm. extended family and close friends, the grandparents. We got so many comments just expressing sadness at how grandparents who live in the same town have maybe seen the baby twice. Um, and that, that, you know, people who would otherwise have wanted to be in the baby's life are not able to be. And that is, um, there's grief, I think for moms associated with that. Um, and we got a lot of that and that's a little different from, you know, grandma was going to watch the baby and now she can't and it's a childcare issue. This is more like, these are found, founding foundational relationships, um, for that like family web that are being kind of postponed or delayed. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I touched on that earlier, but I think like the number of comments we got, um, it's kind of worth talking about. Here's one that stood out to me. So Emily says my in-laws aren't being socially distant, so they haven't been able to hold the baby. My parents are being very careful so they can stay in our bubble. So they've been able to hold the baby. It's caused a lot of hurt feelings, even though I don't feel like I need to apologize to them. So like, just like being in the position of having a new baby and having to manage like cutting one set of of parents off and, you know, just the, just the conflict with that and the sadness around that. And then all the tension that causes, that's just so, that's just so much. And we had several of those. Another Mm -hmm. one that popped out at me um, was Shanna said, um, 
that she didn't have get to have her mom in the room with her when she was having her third baby. Also, not only that, she went to the hospital and was alone until she was fully admitted. And that's been something that's really been on my mind a lot with moms going in. Like, how was that experience? Um, she said they were able, it happened twice. They were able to stop contractions, but she was there overnight alone. And oh, then wow. her parents weren't able to see her daughter till she was almost a month old. So like, uh, <laughs> that's just, that's so hard and that's not yeah. how it should be. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I agree. Okay. Well, we are um, thinking of you, new moms or moms of new babies. Um, and yeah, just know that there are other people going through these same struggles. Um, we are welcoming back Vionic as a sponsor today. And Sarah, I will be honest. I was sorting through my warmer weather wardrobe the other day and it could seriously use a refresh, but you know what's good to go? My shoes. I've got a great selection to choose from thanks to the Vionic Vitals collection. And lately the pair I keep putting on again and again is the Uptown Loafer. I have two pairs, one in sand suede and the other in camel leather, but please don't make me pick a favorite. Oh, I won't. I'll let you keep both. That's so funny, Megan, because I was a little jealous of your Uptown Loafers. I was the last one on our team to get a pair, but I just did. I also got mine in the sand suede and I think I've worn them like four times this week. They really finish off a cute spring outfit. The Vionic Vitals collection has the best essential styles for everyday wear to get you ready for spring. And no matter what shoes you choose, you'll be on the go in comfort because every single pair of Vionic shoes delivers their trademark Viomotion technology for a difference you can feel. Bionic sandals, sneakers, and flats all offer incredible support, stability, and cushioning, and every pair comes with a 30-day risk-free trial, so it's easy to try them out. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's a one-time use only. Bionic shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Sarah, our sponsor, Haya Health, makes a kid's daily multivitamin that parents can feel great about giving their kids because they have no added sugars or dyes. And our kids who have tried Haya Vitamins have loved them, which is important, right? Because what good is a bottle of vitamins that your kid won't take? Haya was founded by two dads who didn't like the ingredients label on some of the popular children's vitamins they were seeing on store shelves, so they got to work developing a formula that would help fill the most common nutrient gaps in modern kids' diets. Haya's Chewable Kids Vitamin is made with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables and then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals. They're also vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, and nut-free. Haya manufactures their vitamins right here in the USA with globally sourced ingredients, and then they ship their chewable vitamins directly to your door on a pediatrician-recommended schedule. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash MomHour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Okay, we are back and we're going to talk about toddlers. Hooray! <laughs> Hooray! Okay, so anyone who's listened to this show for a while knows that Sarah and I, jokingly, because we love all children, um, talk though about how hard and unrewarding the like one to two year old stage can be. And I think for mm -hmm. us, we, you know, it starts around like 10, 11 months when they really start getting into everything and they start to whine and create messes. And then it kind of lasts until they're about two or so. Mm -hmm. And can I communicate. 18 to 24 months to me is like almost the hardest. Oh, like a, a newly one year old is still pretty sweet. Although they do have a strong personality. 
There's something about 18 to 24 months that is like, it combines the neediness of a baby with the willfulness of what's coming, you know, the two, three-year-old toddlers. And it's just crazy. It's crazy. It's just something. Yeah. Yes. Something. And, you know, I don't know that COVID itself is going to change a toddler's <laughs> essential toddlerness very much. But what it does do is basically cages you in with them. So you're yes. in quarantine oh and God. you are stuck in that mess. There's no going to McDonald's playland. There is no library story time. Um, it doesn't even feel right to go hang out in the aisles of Target, right? So like you could do that. And I'm sure a lot of moms do, but like even there's some weird latent kind of guilt and weirdness around that too. So it's just all this like, uh, you, it's like you have, a, you're like in the cage with the tiger. Yes. <laughs> and with, I'm thinking about like toddlers and germs, um, it pre COVID when it was just like, you know, cold and flu season and trying to keep our babies healthy and all that. Um, I always thought that the toddlers were so much harder because they're into everything. Like, even though a baby is perhaps more immuno, like vulnerable, um, right. they're, they're all wrapped up. They don't touch things and then put them in their mouth. Right. And, from a, like a germiness standpoint, toddlers are kind of the worst. So then you mm -hmm. add that kind of fear about going out, um, in the world. Yeah. So looking at the comments about toddler life and it's funny, even though we got so many comments, I feel like the themes are pretty, there's like kind of two themes. One is the never endingness of toddler parenting. If you are at home with toddlers, like they don't stop unless they take a nap. They are into everything. It's kind of mind numbing for, you know, like yeah. at least as kids get older, they have funny conversations with you and it's, they're a little more intellectually like on par with an, a bigger kid or an adult, but a, a, a never ending toddler parenting year, like a day that just stretches into a year. Honestly, that's about as challenging as I can dream up. And we had several comments that spoke to just the exhaustion, the mental exhaustion. Um, the, the, we've joked about not being the type of moms who love to get down and like play trains on the floor and just like, what do you even do with them after 200 days? It's yeah. Um, Sam says toddlers are hard little dictators and being <laughs> around them every day, all day with no break is exhausting. Uh-huh. And then Laura says the mess, since we never oh, left yes. the house, the toys immediately came back out after being picked up. Nothing ever stayed tidy. She would, she got good at keeping herself occupied when I was busy with the baby, but would absolutely trash her room in the process. So like that mess can be so triggering. And when there's no way to keep it up, no escape, like there's really no solution besides just giving into the mess. That is really That's hard. Really hard. Um, Lindsay speaks to the challenge of she works full-time outside the home. So the toddler is in daycare, um, but she has a job that requires sometimes overtime or sometimes work in the evening and just the lack of boundaries <laughs> that a toddler yeah. has. Like, so if you're coming home from a full day of work and toddler's been at daycare all day, you're expected to, oh yeah, fix dinner, do bath, do bedtime, also keep working. Um, the, the never endingness isn't, it's almost like it's concentrated into fewer hours, but it's still you still have not had a break. I think that's, that's yeah. the, the lack of break is so, so hard. Another thing is I think this kind of skews, can skew like the toddler's natural place in the sibling pecking order, um, which, you know, usually toddlers, like usually they're like around and, and they would probably take up a lot of the mental 
and emotional energy of the household just because they're so present, right? Mm -hmm. But Liz says, I hate to admit this, but currently our two-year-old has become almost an afterthought. I'm a stay-at-home mom and I'm homeschooling a kindergartner. The five-year-old gets all the focus and it's starting to show. So that's a really interesting way of Mm -hmm. like almost flipping it where generally speaking, a five-year-old would be kind of doing their own thing, even if they were homeschooled. If you're homeschooling because you want to, and it's something you've chosen, that's very different than homeschooling because it's been thrust upon you. Mm -hmm. And like now you're trying to make it work with a two-year-old. So I just think that's a, it's really interesting. You, you would think the older kid would be becoming more and more independent, giving you more space to yeah. focus on the two-year-old. But in this case, it's been flipped. And yeah, it's we're responsible like, yeah. for Zoom school. Right. Um, that reminds me, some of the hardest years of toddler ultraviolet were actually when the big kids started to play really well together and get a little bit more into their own games and they were at school. And it was almost like having an only child toddler again, because she didn't keep she couldn't keep up with the bigger kids and yet she knew enough to know she wanted to so i do think that um where the toddler is in your family if it's an only or the oldest it it probably looks very different either way but i don't think it changes that it's challenging right. and never never ending this and never ending um here's an, a comment from stephanie that this one really jumped out at me because it's some it's again like that it's not directly a developmental issue due to COVID, but it's like a parenting coping mechanism that you're enacting because of COVID. So Stephanie says the added mental load of making decisions, parenting decisions, plus considering COVID is exhausting. Is my almost two-year-old ready to potty train? Welp, I don't want to be figuring out public restrooms during COVID, so I Mm -hmm. guess we'll put it off. Her birthday is coming up in addition to our family. Could I invite two of the kids from daycare? But what if the parents feel uncomfortable with COVID? So never mind, not worth the stress. Mm-hmm. She says the extra thinking and consideration drains my mental capacity, makes me less patient and empathetic towards my kids as she is having age-appropriate emotions. I feel like I'm making decisions based on what's safer or just easier with mm-hmm. respect to COVID as opposed to what would be best for my kid. And that is like such, I've been in the same situation mm-hmm. where I'm like, let's just make this easy. Let's just make mm-hmm. this easy. And to some degree, I think parents do that all the time. But now it's that times like a lot more, you know? Well, and it comes back to something I feel like I've said a hundred times now in our COVID episodes is it's one thing if we thought we were going to need to sustain this for six weeks or eight weeks or 90 days, because right. you can you can make those like, OK, we're in survival mode. What's the easiest decision? And and you can not feel bad about it because but when survival mode goes into, you know, the second year then that's a different conversation starts to have an effect. Like she said, like eventually that kid will need to be potty trained and eventually that kid will need to use public restrooms. And it is, it's so much easier to just choose the path of least resistance right now. Cause we're in survival mode, but it's, it's interesting to see how long that has to last. Um, it was funny in the car yesterday, Reed, Reed said to me, he goes, I think I might want to try a sport. And I was like, Oh buddy, like you haven't done any, <laughs> Right. Like any extracurricular. And then my next thought is right now, my younger two kids are in school in person newly the last couple of weeks. They have staggered drop off and pickups. So I'm going out and back, out and back, out and back, out and back four times. It's really close. The school's really close. But um, and then my middle schooler may get to start in person. And my first thought was, I can't we can't add a sport, even if it's right. a covid safe outdoor sport. How I can't do that. And so, yes, to Stephanie's point, it's like 
well, that's too complicated. I can't think about that right now. But then it's you have the little kid in the backseat being like, I think I might want to try tennis. And you're like, right. Ah. I know. And you're like, nope, can't not. This is not the year for that. Yeah. And then like also not wanting to get your kids hopes up for anything. I mean, yes, I was just thinking about like how for me, um, a lot of my decisions around the school year were based on not wanting the disruption or the disappointment that would happen mm-hmm. if school didn't stay in person. Um, and I mean, there is a certain like self-protectiveness or child protectiveness of not wanting to like actually set expectations that won't happen. So Eileen says our playgrounds just opened up tonight. I literally tried to take literally tonight, tried to take my uh, two and four year olds to the playground, but there were other kids in the playground. So we had to turn around and go home. There was a lot of tears and screaming in the car and mom guilt for even trying. It's like showing up at Disney World and it burned down. Yeah. Oh my gosh. For those yes. kids who haven't been able to go yeah. in now, however many months, I mean, like not wanting to kind of set the stage for disappointment or hassle. Um, we also, Melissa said, um, she had potty trained her two and a half year old at home during quarantine in June, but they haven't been able to practice it because the only place in public she goes is walks around the neighborhood. The one time we did take her to the doctor for her flu shot, she pooped in her pants because oh. she didn't know what to do. Yeah. Like, she'd literally never had you know, that whole thing you get in public where your kid learns how to communicate with you that they have to go. She had never had a chance to practice it. Yeah. So it's, it's the disappointment and the not wanting to make your life harder as a mom and not wanting to make your kids lives harder to get them used to something. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I keep saying it's a lot, but it's just a lot. It is. (laughs) It's the subtitle of this episode. It's a lot. Um, well that kind of leads to the other major theme that takes us right from toddlers into preschoolers And that is just missing out on getting out in the world. And we've touched on it a little bit already, but I think we got, we got comments from both toddler and preschooler parents about playgrounds being closed, library story time being closed. And it's funny, it goes hand in hand with the first theme, which was the never endingness and the exhaustion and the mess and the, because the solution, the antidote to that usually is like you said, go walk the, the aisles at target or take them to run around an indoor bounce house place. And so I think moms are really feeling the just the lack of options for Mm. helping kids release that energy. And then, of course, the opportunities to practice, like you said, practicing the the public pottying, practicing socialization skills, um, practicing separation anxiety, which is a little different than that stranger danger, but happens more with toddlers and preschoolers where eventually they will need to be okay with separating from mom for a little bit. So um, I think I think if anyone is feeling the pain of playground closures and library closures, it's it's our stay at home toddler preschooler moms, because yeah. those are the life. They are the lifeblood of those years. Yeah. And even when kids can now interact or or engage in some of those activities, like the protocols, the masks for two and three and four year olds, um, the way they've gotten so different, like preschools happening over Zoom, which boggles my mind. How is this a thing? People stressed about um, if you did try to go travel in, or in some public place with your two-year-old and you think, what if they won't keep their mask on? I yeah. just saw a story about a family who got kicked off a plane because they couldn't oh. keep their, couldn't keep a mask on their two-year-old. So it's like, like every single decision is tinged with so many more what ifs and what abouts and mm-hmm. like, and like um, contingency plans than you would ever have had to think about pre-COVID. Yeah. Agreed. Ugh. Well, moving into preschoolers, um, one of the big themes that came out that's a little different than toddlers is the school and daycare experience itself. Because I think in our community, we have quite a 
like the number of kids in an outside the home program just goes way up when you get to the three and right. four year olds. Um, Carol said, we were forced to find a new daycare for my two boys ages three and 15 months during the pandemic. I've never been inside the facility where my boys spend 40 hours a week, nor have I met the people taking care of them in person. That that is, is crazy. Like from another planet. Like it's it, it <laughs> is. just not the way things are meant to be. And we had lots of different comments about mask wearing and protocols. And I think we all feel at least oh, I won't speak for everyone. I know with myself with school age kids, I feel conflicted about the benefits to in-person school, but also some of the risks and the hassles. And I'm sure there's a lot of preschool parents who feel the same. They're grateful that their kid gets to leave the house and go be with other kids. But then you are dealing with all kinds of complications from that. And so we heard a lot about just the the challenges of an actual preschool program that wouldn't have been challenges if not for COVID. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And I mean... I'm just thinking about Zoom preschool. Like I'm oh. looking at this. Tiffany says, my child is so adept at using the mouse and all that age. <laughs> she loves school, but we know this is not the school experience. I mean, I almost feel like part of me wants to say, what's the point? Like, I don't understand if there isn't preschool and pre-K supposed to really be about play and being around other people and socializing and all that stuff. And yet I know that if you're a mom who is feeling that that gap or that like, I don't know that there's a void there. You want to fill it with something that you mm-hmm. think your kid needs. So the, so the solution is like an online version, but it's not anywhere near the same. It's yeah. like a totally different experience. And it's, um, yeah, that's rough. That's yeah. rough. Can we talk about separation anxiety and preschoolers? Really? I'll be, I'll be brief, but yeah. I want similar to um, what I said about stranger danger. I have experienced pretty extreme separation anxiety in the preschool years, almost with all three of my kids at different times. And that's another one I'm going to throw in the pile of probably normal in normal times and very hard to sort out what is what is the effect of having been quarantined for six months and then having to separate versus what would be happening anyway. And I I think if I have advice, it's that if you trust the providers and you trust the, the educators and the front desk staff and the culture of your preschool or your daycare program, if you feel good about them and, and you trust them, um, then I wouldn't worry too much about the tears that drop off. Or I would just, I would just tell you that it happens in normal times too, including like, yeah. I've had kids who cried every day at drop off for months or like half yeah. a year. Um, and then I know we've talked about this on the, on the show before, but like if, if they can bounce back and be happy after you leave and if it seems to be generally improving and not, not improving. Like there's other things to look for, but I don't think that's necessarily just a COVID thing. It might be exacerbated, but I, for sure it can be normal in non COVID times. Well, I think that, um, the way kids are being dropped off now is so different that we don't get the benefit of seeing that progress. Um, so let's see one of, Oh, Laura said something about how with the new COVID protocols, now they drop their three-year-old off or their young preschooler. I shouldn't say how old, um, at the front door. And then he has to stand there with a the class and an aide, and then everyone arrives and they all go to the classroom together. So doesn't all this kid experiences is mom leaving. Like there's yeah. not that we're going in the classroom and here's all this fun stuff. There's Play-Doh, there's dinosaur toys. So the kid is still crying at drop-off, even though by the time he gets into the classroom, it's not more than 15 minutes and the crying stops. But it's tough on the mom because you never get to see that progress. All you see is the crying and the tears 
And all you're doing is dropping your child off literally at a yeah. door, it, which is just, I don't know, that's hard. And you like to see that it's getting better. And when you don't see that it's getting better, even though you logically know it is, yeah. it's, that's tough. That's tough on that. Do you think this um, is a that sincere mom. question? Do you think, I don't know the answer to this. Are, are daycare and preschool teachers allowed to like pat that child on the back or hold their hand? Like, I'm just thinking about how loving mm. and physically nurturing our preschool teachers were, including hugging kids if they needed it, or at least, you know, rubbing their back. I'm just, now I'm going to cry think it, here. I, if I like, know. I think it depends a lot on where you are. I think that that is one of those things I've seen all kinds of different ugh. sort of like, um, well, just like schools and just like everything yeah. else, how, how a preschool or daycare chooses to, or feels they should interpret safety guidelines or how their state tells them to, or their County. It's so different. And I have definitely heard, um, and I don't know how widespread this is though, but about, about schools we're touching is not a thing oh. and little, little, little kids. And I mean, that's, I, yeah. oh God, I like, I'm going to crawl under my blankets thinking about a two and a half year old being dropped off and not be able to be comforted that way. Okay. And I think a lot of times the masking and the other protocols they have in place kind of take the place of that. That's kind of, you know what what I I mean? I think that that's kind of where we've landed, but that's not, that doesn't mean every school or every daycare. I'd be interested to hear from moms whose kids are. Yeah. Because I, I'm sure it's one of those things where it totally depends and there's probably not, you know? Yeah. And, and even like, okay, so Stacy says three-year-olds in masks at daycare. In my knowledge, to my knowledge, Michigan, which is a very, we've been very locked down. Like we've had very aggressive rules and protocols in place. Um, I talked to a daycare provider not too long ago for something I was doing and she did not say the little kids had to be masked. So I think that that is also now the, the teacher probably does. Yeah. But they can at least see the lips because you know, Stacy says it's heartbreaking. The daycare teacher has had more difficulty in speech with this group than ever before because she can't see their mouths and they can't see hers. And I yeah. think there are workarounds that a lot of daycares have found. And I don't think it's across the board that little, little kids have to be in masks. I, yeah. I think some schools do it, but, but across the board, no. So yeah. that I think is another one of those, like, depends. Right. It depends on where you are. Depends where you are. Um, yeah. Well, we're, we're running a, li- a little long here, but just the final theme, I think, with the preschoolers is something we touched on at the very beginning, which is hard to know what is normal and what is a result of this strange time we're living through. And perhaps no one uh, more than three nagers is going to challenge us in that way yeah. because three-year-olds and even three and four-year-olds tend to throw us for a loop anyway with changes in their behavior even seeming changes in their personality from whatever kind of toddler they were um things like fears and anxieties crop up as as young as three and four and it, i just yeah. would think that would be so hard to suss out um of yes, what it's feels so hard to know yeah. yeah what what feels kind of within the range of normal and and what might be a result of what we're going through and or need some intervention. So I don't really have any advice except that that's really hard. That is hard. And I think, I think it's always good to keep in mind that at three regression, anger issues, yeah, way over, um, physicalness, um, physical outbursts, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, temper tantrums, like all that is so, so, so normal. And I think I think my advice would almost always be COVID times or not COVID times is like 
trust your gut. And if something is becoming too big of a problem for you and your family, mm-hmm. it's worth looking into, even if you think it might be normal. On the other hand, if it feels manageable and it doesn't seem like something outside the norm, like you probably can wait and see right now. And I would mm-hmm. say right now, you probably kind of have to, to some yeah. degree, because you don't have like, even, you know, people talking about speech therapy over zoom, if it's creating more tension than it's solving. Like, I feel like everyone wants to plug in just to the old systems that worked. And so we're all trying to like make do with what there is, mm-hmm. but if the make do is worse than the not making do, then it's not helping. Yeah. You know? So maybe there's some other solution where, and maybe it's getting you help. Like maybe it's getting mom and dad yes. the support they need so that they're more able to cope. Um, rather than trying to like layer on outside services that aren't operating the way they should. I, I am so glad you said that last thing, because I think um, like mental health support and self-care, real true self-care for moms is so intertwined with behavior issues for kids. Like it's so, it's so overlapped your own, yeah. when you are stretched to, you know, beyond your just normal coping abilities, um, a three-nager could well put you over the edge. You wrote an essay for our newsletter community the other day and referenced how many three-year-old moms had been writing to us, and then we got more replies from them. But when your fuse is short and your surge capacity is depleted, then even if that three-year-old's behavior is sort of within the range of normal, it doesn't change your experience as not being able to cope, not being able to handle it. Um, so I'm so glad you brought that up, that sometimes the the action that will help most has nothing to do with the child's behavior and everything to do with somehow getting the support for parents that they need. So, Well, yeah, I hope this episode wasn't a big bummer. I, I hope that people come away feeling validated, but hope, also hopeful that yeah. um, just knowing that there's so many other people going through the same thing kind of makes me realize that when we all come out, we're all going to we're all going to kind of be in the same spot, right? It's not like you're going to come out of this and your three-year-old is going to basically be acting like an 18-month-old and everyone else's will right. have like sprung ahead. Like everyone's going to have a new normal that they're going to have to deal with. And so that's going to become everyone's normal. And yeah. so I think that's hopeful in a way because I think that'll make us all band together a little bit mm-hmm. more um, to like just get us all through this. And I, I guess that's like the most hopeful uh, thing I can say. That's as good as we've this is as good right as now. it gets right now, guys. I'm sorry. This is like emotionally draining, but I am looking forward to digging in on school and preteen and teenage issues because the, ch- the differences are so striking. It's so um, different. It's so different. So that'll be a, a great next episode for next Tuesday. Yeah. Um, And just a reminder too, that we have our virtual retreat coming up November 7th to the 8th. Um, It's a chance for you to get away in whatever way feels fun and COVID safe to you. Most of our attendees are going to be booking a night at a local hotel near them and then joining us on Zoom with some pre-recorded content. If you want to skip all the content and just take a bubble bath and sleep in, you can still feel like you're doing it alongside, you know, a whole bunch of other moms all around the world um, and you can catch up on the recorded stuff later. So we're trying to make it flexible and fun but really like declaring November 7th as a night that we can all say, hey, you know what? I I want and need and deserve um, a little break. And so, yeah, we're excited about that. There's a link in the show notes or you can go to themomhour.com slash virtual retreat. And we will keep taking your registrations all the way up till a couple weeks before. So just keep them yeah. coming. It's so fun to see everybody signing up. It is. And man, if there was ever a time that we all need that, right? Yeah. It's, it's now. <laughs> it's yeah. now. 
Uh, yeah, we've heard from a lot of a lot of moms who would say like we weren't, you know, I wasn't sure my husband was going to go for it or I wasn't sure I'd be able to pull it off. But then it just gave them a reason to get it on their calendar. Mm-hmm. And that there was just just that was, you know, like the just kind of the nudge they needed. And there's a lot of excitement yep. around it. So, yeah, Agreed. great. All right, everybody, we will be back next week to continue this episode and we will talk to you then. Guess what, Megan? Over 10,000 teens are already using our sponsor, Erica, to help them unplug. That is amazing. Erica, that's Erica with a K, is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug whenever they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. It's so cool how this works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Yeah, you know, teens really get that social media comes with risks, including addiction. And Erica helps them build healthy habits and self-regulation that will benefit them their whole lives. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. The Mom Hour is brought to you by partners like Chatbooks. Chatbooks makes it beyond easy to create beautiful photo books by importing your digital photos from anywhere, Instagram, Facebook, Google Photos, or directly from your phone. The books come in a variety of sizes with beautiful cover options and binding styles to choose from, and they start at just $15. Plus, we have a great deal just for our listeners. Use code THEMOMHOUR20 to save 20% off your purchase. Just download the Chatbooks app and use code THEMOMHOUR20 to save 20%.